Welcome to Music Ranked, a special production from the Toddcast Podcast. Each month, Todd and I review some of our favorite bands and musical acts. Stemming from a list Eric made a decade ago, he created an algorithm to see who exactly was his favorite band. Now, I do extensive research and rate and review every song. We talk about our memories and artist histories. At the end, we will have all music Music ranked. Hello, and welcome to the Toddcast. I'm joined again with Eric for an exciting edition of Music Ranked, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Eric, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right, and and in fear that I'll continuously mess up their name, I will just call them CCR from this point on. I think that's probably for the best. Yeah. Do you know what a do you know what a credence is and why their Clearwater's needed revival? Oh boy, what was the story? So the the sad thing is, I did enough research, and I should know exactly where they got their name. Uh, but it is now beyond. Um, it's it's not locked away in. Or it is locked away in the vault where I can't restore that right now. Sorry, the key is gone. <laughs> uh, but I, I believe it was. It, there's no real meaning to it. I think it was just a clever little thing that they heard and they said that was a cool name and went with it. Uh, I think it's a cool name. Never oh, understood I, yeah. it, nor do I need to understand it. But CCR, it also came down to, you know, it's fine that it's now an acronym and I'm, I'm fine with that. So, yeah. No, I think nine times out of 10, I just refer to them as CCR. And I think most people that I'm likely to converse with know what that means and who that is. So, yeah, yeah we'll, you know, we'll, we'll stick with CCR. Well, Call it good. exactly. That that's, works for me. Yeah. And, and the thing is, uh, CCR is, I don't know if it's an overlooked band. <laughs> like, to me, CCR has always been there. They've always been a band that, I mean, I guess this would be a band that I knew from the moment that I could listen to music because I believe we categorize this as mom's music. <laughs> yeah. Even though that's not necessarily fair, but we, I think she would be the one that was listening to this more so than dad. And with that being said, you know, I was around mom probably more in the, in the early days. So this is a band that I've thought of forever. And I don't know where they really fall in the general public's thought. Like, I don't know if it's a band that they're like, oh, yeah, CCR or, you know, Credence. And, and they know the song's kind of like the Beatles. It feels like they, they're a little different in that aspect. But that's just my feeling. And I don't know if there's any truth or merit to that. What's your general take? I mean, I, I love them and I enjoy them. And, and again, I will echo that growing up. I think I heard more CCR out of mom's various tape decks and record players than we did with dad's. Um, I, I mean, I think dad liked CCR. I just don't think he was as into them as he was other stuff. And mom's mom's music pre before she got super heavy into various forms of Christian music exclusively it seems like she didn't have that wide a catalog to work with to begin with. Like I remember Steppenwolf and guess who and CCR. I feel like Dr. Hook was somehow in there. Like it was a weird (laughs) mishmash of stuff, but there wasn't as much. Whereas dad had, you know, yeah. A mile and a half long record collection that had everything. Yeah. Um, And you'd hear CCR on the radio. Yeah, you know, in the yeah. mix with the with the rest of the the classic rock stuff. It and I don't think it was necessarily underrepresented. There's a lot of classic rock out there, and I think it got played just as much as you know, 
anything else. I mean, probably not as much as, say, Led Zeppelin or the Beatles, but, you know, probably more than, say, name at random, the Lovin' Spoonful, for example, you know. Um, but you're right. I don't know that it gets talked about nearly as, as much as... Well, there's a weird hybrid Some of the other of... groups. Yeah, I, I remember a couple times at, at school, the... The one teacher in, in maybe seventh grade, I think, had a radio and he would play oldies. And I believe CCR is one of those that actually was able to play on oldies and on Eagle 107.5, which is our cla- or just rock station in general. Right. So right. They're, they're this weird hybrid of like, yeah, this is c- considered oldies music, you know. And yeah. then it's also like, all right, yeah, this is classic rock or just rock music in general. But yet it it – it doesn't really fit perfectly in either one of those areas. Well, yeah, generally, sort of a they, yeah. mid-ground transition sort of group. They're unique. They're so unique. Well, well, and there was there was a person I knew when I was down in Florida, and CCR come on, and she's like, yeah, I don't like CCR. They're too country. And I'm like, country? Like, they don't strike me as country, but then if you listen to it, you're like, yeah, I can okay, understand yeah. a certain level of how... If you weren't into it, you could maybe get that that perspective on it. Like I never considered them too country, or really even country. But eh, there's a little southern, you know. I guess the the sort of the swamp rock end of it maybe kind of blends over. Yeah, so, I mean they're not from Louisiana. No. <laughs> Although, like you would think, all right, hey everybody, where where CCR from? Oh, they're from the Bayou. I mean, they right. But I think it was he just had an affinity. So John Fogarty is the lead singer and pretty much the brains behind CCR, right? Yes. So in in there's been, uh, you know, through all the interviews and and podcasts and videos that I've watched, he is pretty much CCR. And then he yeah. also went to battle with CCR to. <laughs> To kind of claim that right, he was, he uh, did not necessarily have a wonderful breakup or yeah. or time with with the group in the later years. But John Fogerty and he basically, you would think that he was from the South, but really no, he just enjoyed, you know that that life. Yeah, and, and they were out of California, it. right? I believe so. So yeah, the the fact is that they're like what California boys, and they're just like yeah, we're going to uh, make this music and talk mostly about the South and make it out like, Hey, we're, we're good old country boys. And that could be, you know, further from the truth, especially with, uh, I believe their political affiliation uh, was at least in recent years has been tied to films that were like anti-war, you know, uh, right, Forrest right. Gump and fortunate son and so forth. So they're not necessarily on the, um, on the forefront of, you know, I guess they're not Southern by any right. means. And that, of course, is a lumping all other all southern people in one category, which is not correct. I apologize no. for that. But no. needless to say, "Born on the Bayou" is as songs, uh, you know, and "Down on the uh, River," uh, "Proud Mary," and so forth. They all sound the swamp rock esque vibe. And and uh, I, you know, they're the first that I know of, the most famous by all means. Do you know of anybody else that's really done swamp rock? You know, you hear the term swamp rock, and I immediately think of CCR, and then the thought processes end. Like, if you say, <laughs> su- well, you know, you, you, you say southern rock, and I think the first thing that pops into my head is always Leonard Skinner. Yeah, there but you, you go. But you, but you can think of some others, like there's, okay, this, yeah, that, okay, whatever. Now, swamp rock almost, to me, sort of begins and ends with CCR. I'm sure there are others. I just can't think of any off the top of my head, or I'm not as familiar with them. 
Yeah. No, no. I remember there was um, when I was first starting this up and I decided I was going to go through the entire Beatles collection and go song by song and find the exact genre. And I do believe there was a song categorized as Swamp Rock loosely on the it was either the White Albums or Abbey Road. And no, it's it's nothing comparable to Credence, which <laughs> nearly all their songs are swampy. Yeah, yeah. No, and nor could I probably define Swamp Rock very well, other than go, well, you know, CCR, or, that's <laughs> or it. on the Bayou, right? Like that's that's, that's what that is. Like yeah, so. Yeah, you, yeah. That, that's how you describe. So you have become the genre uh, when, <laughs> when you're like, if somebody says, hey, what's, what's, what's Swamp Rock? And you're just named the band. Yeah, so, all right. So overall, the, the whole fact of like, hey, let's go through their entire discography. There were not a ton of albums, primarily, uh, because this, this group kind of um, was a little volatile at times. Uh, it seemed like everything was going well. And then by the time they got to the final album, I, and and it could have been a matter of people wanted credit for different things, yeah. uh, but by the time they had their final albums, Fogarty just was like, "Sure, you guys all want equal representation. Everybody do their thing, and I'll do my thing, and we'll put it out." And it was one of the the less, uh, it was not their favorite album. Let's no. put it. the critics no. for everybody. It was an album. Mm, it wasn't so hot. Now I, you know, I scored all their albums generally okay i felt like they had at least one or two hits on each album some of them better than others uh and and you and i were just discussing your scoring of ccr you felt like you were a little harsh so i guess you could fill us yeah. fill us in with what you're thinking here we've often said that when it comes to the star ratings i i am way more stingy than you are and i've had all of my music star rated in itunes you know pretty much from when i switched over from i think winamp <laughs> back in the day when i first when i first got my first iphone and and made the transition to itunes that's pretty much when i started ranking things and like i said i've always been a little little stingy on it i've never really looked at them you know by group to see where things sort of went until we started doing this music rank project well i just pulled up ccr and prep for for our discussion today and you know, filtered on CCR and sorted them by by star rankings. I only have three five star CCR songs. And mind you, I've got I've got their discography. Like I like these guys. I have it. Like there's some some artists we've talked about that I've just sort of sampled. This is one of the ones where no, I also have listened to their entire and rated their entire discography. And for CCR to only have three five star songs seems seems wrong to me. <laughs> well. You know, uh, well, then you said you had, what, 17 four stars? Four stars, right? yeah. Which, But which... that still seems, I don't know, it just seems seems like there should be more, I guess. Well, uh, you know. well I'll, I'll give you the total count here. So what we have is we only had 68 qualified songs, right? So there's not, I mean, they only put out five or six albums. And so if you only have 68 qualified songs, so I, I have eight five stars. I have 27 four stars. So given the fact that I grade a little higher than you, that's about probably the right mix. So I don't know if you're wrong. I think I think it's just a matter of, you know, I would almost guess that you're going to take 10 or 15 of my four-star songs and you're gonna be like, no, those are definitely not four stars. And and then the other ones are all debatable between five and four. Yeah. What do you have well, as your five-star And I guess songs? the magic three for me apparently are looking out my back door, Lodi, and down on the corner. 
which are definitely five star worthy songs, but there should be more than that. Uh, when you, I, you, when you are such, it is such an, it's so amazing to me that you and I will grade a group so closely, but it, we are always separate when it comes to favorite songs. There is, <laughs> so I'm looking at it and I'm like, all right, well, those are my, four, those are four star songs, except for, um, uh, would you say the down on the corner down on the corner is a five star and probably their classic, you know, to, yeah. to me, yeah. I mean, not, yeah. most people will know that one and a couple other ones, obviously, but that's, uh, that's interesting. Have, all right. So I have, <laughs> and I'm just, I'm, I'm assuming these will all be four stars for you for the most part, but I have proud Mary, which we know as the cover of, uh, Oh, I'm escaping the name, but, uh, we uh which yeah. one call it tina turner right yeah. yes yes uh, i have up around the bend and then of course we have the the rain songs which is who will stop the rain and have you ever seen the rain right. Susie q bad moon yep. rising which is one of their popular ones and fortunate son so those are yes. all my five star songs with well, with me going back and forth on proud mary i could make that a four and Susie q is just very long <laughs> so if 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 Susie q uh. wasn't like eight minutes of jam then it, I, I mean I, I give them a pass on that, but yeah, skip see, counts could could hurt. <laughs> here's 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 the here's the thing, Eric. Uh, all the ones you just mentioned are mm-hmm. in fact four stars, except Proud Mary, which for me is a three star. I'm just not as enamored by it as you well, are. And, well, and yeah, I, I can get <laughs> and, it. And and Susie Q is one that I feel like actually should probably be a five for me. Because of the jamming section, like that's one of the reasons I love that song. <laughs> All right, so 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 is this weird little cr- hybrid cross area where you and I are just like, yeah, the band's great, and and we'll they'll say, hey, on in three, name your favorite song, and then we'll both spurt it out, and then we'll look at each other awkwardly, like what, you know, and that's just it's just how it is. But it's very yeah. weird how how different songs can kind of, you know tickle your fancy I, I mean i have have you ever seen the rain is my favorite song that's the greatest song, greatest hit for me that is my favorite and it beat out some tough competition uh what would you say yours was out of the three or if you've decided to bump some up i mean in recent times i think suzy q might take that pick but i think if i look overall historically it's it's pretty much even money between looking out my back door and down on the corner and I think it's because those are the two songs that I heard in heavy rotation growing sure. up. Like I hear those songs and I'm taken back to being six years old, living out in the country, you know, playing with my Legos with mom, having her music on in the background. And there's yeah. just, just something about those. Well, that's, I mean, no, no doubt that nostalgia plays a big effect. And, and, you know, you're talking about hearing some songs. I'm going to tell you a, a story about uh, bad moon rising and a song that, um, that, sparks back crazy memories for me and it involves a hobo when we come back from this break when buying clothes you have choices you can be stylish be trendy be outspoken but those are all the wrong answers we want you to be like justin benline be beige why show personality in your clothing when you can lock yourself away and be forgotten Franchise 10 Apparel has been bringing the best clothes and accessories that'll never be seen. Even hermits wear shirts. Visit justinbenline.com and save 30% off the Justin Benline collection. Justinbenline.com. No personality, no problem. Be beige. All right, and we are back. All right, Todd, we were talking about uh, 
your favorite songs and how you hear it. And he goes back to it's space and time. And, and this could be a blessing or a curse. We decided back in maybe 2000 that Bad Moon Rising was going to be a theme song for one of my friends because, of course, we had a Backyard Wrestling Federation. And of course, uh, yeah, I'll give you a little little story here. So my friend uh, was my he was the the two boys were my neighbors and they weren't necessarily involved in my crew of friends. Right. They were younger, a couple of grades younger, but I knew my entire life so I could right. vouch for them. So we're we're setting up shop and we're doing these ridiculous backyard wrestling matches in, in my backyard. And they they basically are on the next house and they can see us and they say, hey, can we join? And because we're evil hazers, you know, and we're all, you know, <laughs> and we're like, well, yeah, you can join, but we get to name you. We get to do what we get to tell, you know, basically create your persona and character where this is something that everybody created their own. And that's part of the whole fun right. was right. everybody got to do their own thing. But we're like, well, you have to earn your keeps here. So we're going to start you off and we're going to we're going to start you off as what we they call jobbers or enhancement talent uh, back in the day when you would watch wrestling you would have your marquee matchups, which would like star versus star. But primarily right. the show was filled with star versus random local guy that dressed in really generic gear and looked like someone's, you know, dad that just came out of the bar. Right. <laughs> and then, okay. and then the, in the, they were called jobbers or enhancement talent and they would get beat within minutes. And they were just solely there to prove that these superstars are so good that you can't just take a random guy off the street to compete against them, you know, and it, they were just filler matches. Okay. So the whole concept of the jobber, well, of course, our, our neighbors, you know, uh, were good as be jobbers because they had to earn their keep. They had to prove. So they would just have matches where they just get defeated really quickly. They wouldn't get to do any moves or anything. And so some of the popular jobbers at the time, or at least names that we heard of in magazines that we didn't have a clue who they were, was there was a guy named Mike Quackenbush, which uh, was a, a wrestler up in the Northeast, and his name was always there. And we decided that, all right, our, my friend's name was Steve or Stevie, and we were going to give him the last name Quackenbush. And okay. he was just going to be really generic, and he didn't get an ent entrance or music or anything at the first, and he was known as Stevie Quackenbush, and he'd get beat. And we probably had him beat, you know, seven to ten times. And then finally we said, all right, now you get to upgrade. We're going to give you a character, and we're going to give you a, um, a theme song. Uh, this was the days of just being able to burn CDs. So we, I remember going to my friend's house who had a CD burner and he had music and this was Napster days. And right. we just created mixes of random songs that we liked. Well, for our backyard wrestling federation, we had a CD player. So we pretty much had, you know, when you had a new wrestler, you hurried up and went to the CD and we had a little chart, what song it was and so forth for the entrance music. It was very easy if we had all those songs on one CD as opposed to getting, you know, taking out, putting it in and so forth. So we had one mix CD, just had songs that we liked. And just so happened Bad Moon Rising was a song that we decided to give Stevie Quackenbush. And at the time, Eminem was huge, was big, and everybody was bleach blonde their hair, right? I don't know if you recall this time frame. Oh, yes. All right, so everybody was bleach blonde, but the thing is, it looked fine until it started growing out, especially if you had dark hair. When it grew out, then you had this look like a, a, a bleached cap over top of your regular hair. It just it looked a bit ridiculous and looked kind of homely, like to the point where you looked homeless. So right. uh, there was something about Stevie when he came out to this Bad Moon Rising 
he had this cheesy grin and like this not high step but weird look that he it just sounded like and he smiled like a happy hobo like he's just happy to to you know go across the country jumping from boxcar to boxcar and from that point on we started deeming him as a as a hobo and then we gave him his stick with his red uh red bandana filled with with stuff and he wore like a garbage man like jumper like it was made out it, it it fit perfectly with his ridiculous haircut and and so forth and then from that point on he was known as a hobo and he actually became one of our our favorites uh he's definitely a fan favorite he was the c- complete underdog and uh bad moon rising the song forever is ingrained if i hear that i picture you know our lovable stevie quackenbush coming out ready to lay a uh, hundred clotheslines in one match and that is unfortunately you, you can take a song and you could take a song that was a classic and most people would never associate it, but I can't hear that song without thinking of our lovable hobo. And, and backyard wrestling story. Number one. That's fantastic. I love yeah, that. There's, yeah. There's a, there'll be a lot of songs in our saga where it'll be, Oh, this is the theme song of this guy. And let me give you a little backstory about how ridiculous this was. Um, but that is uh, that was my my teenage years where you had D and D. I truthfully had backyard wrestling and creating hobos. And um, his brother was Gino Fantastico. Just to let you know, he was also. Well, it's it's, it's good. <laughs> were, were they a, were they a tag team or were they just uh, independent we, folks who just happened to be brothers? Uh, well, we we I, we probably had them team and lose to tag teams early on. I, I'm not sure. We obviously then created rivalries between the two because we're horrible human beings. Um, <laughs> I was always on the well, side of Stevie Quackenbush being the better of the two, where most people were on the side of Gino Fantastico because he could do a moonsault. And I'm just like, no, Stevie had the heart and the will. He'd come over and help set up in the morning. Like, he 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 had the drive. And um, since this will probably be the last time we talk about it, during the end days, he won the lottery, and he started sell. He started to uh, – he got rich, and it got to his head, so he turned into a bad guy, in which he started – he hired a lawyer, and he started uh, trademarking and um, – and basically, uh, wouldn't started trademarking other people's finishing moves and bring him. So when somebody would do it, he they'd get served. So they would then he would try to go against them, and he used all, he would use all the moves. It was a brilliant storyline. Um, oh man, you know, yeah. This I, is... I, I so wish you would have had a budget and proper gear to have documented <laughs> all this back in the day, because this is this is ridiculous and amazing. And I wish I could have. Uh, Although this en- enjoyed uh, this. I'm not sure if you realize, but I have 17 VHS tapes, all six hours long of our, our week-to-week matches. We ser- So I have from probably 1999 until 2002, I think, was the, the end of days. But I have lots of this, uh, and some of it converted over to digital. And I'll see if I can get myself a Stevie Quackenbush match uploaded to the Toddcast uh, YouTube channel for anyone that's interested in seeing some quality Stevie Quackenbush stuff. That's fantastic. Well, let's let's try and take this from, you know, backyard wrestling. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, rivalries and contentiousness. You know, you'd mentioned that, you know, the the tail end of CCR had some rough goes. And I have vague recollections of there being some legal concerns there. And I feel like there's a story of Fogarty having to in court prove that, you know, it's not so much that he sounds like CCR, but that CCR sounds like him. Do you do you have any details or knowledge about that that you can yeah you can share yeah absolutely well 
I mean, it was several months ago that I did most of the research, so everything's going to be a little bit more vague. But of course, um, you're hearing secondhand from secondhand because I listen to podcasts, watch videos, and so forth. So you can get all this information if you go head over to the the site and get the exact details. But yeah, CCO John Fogarty ended up going into um, after the breakup. He kind of went into a state where he just didn't release anything for a while because there was legal issues with the with the record company. And then the record company sued him because uh, his single album or single song, and it wasn't the baseball when it was the other the other famous song that he had, and I, I can't recall, but they said it sounded too much like CCR, <laughs> which is just ridiculous in its own right, that illegal matter. Uh, someone is suing them, the, the singer of the song, for it sounding like uh, being a copycat song. Uh, that was all thrown out. He won uh, all that jazz, but uh, there was lots of legal issues uh, with the record company and and uh, Mr. Fogarty for for the years. And it he sounded as if he got maybe bitter or disillusioned by it all. And then later interviews sounds like he he kind of came back, but it doesn't look like that the band um, is very fond of Mr. Fogarty or, or vice versa. And I, and maybe they've made up since then i'm not sure if they're all still alive i I did get to catch a couple you know interviews and or uh podcasts that had some of the other you know members like i believe Stu cook was their bass player uh and 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 i don't know some of the other ones but for the most part uh they did make it in to the hall of fame uh but well that's good yeah i don't think that they legitimately like joined forces i'm almost and this could be another one because believe me you go through a lot of bands you're like there's definitely some breakup and some turmoil and this was this would have been a fine behind the music you know like they had enough but really i think vh1 did a legend series on fogarty which is very similar but it's more about Fogarty, yeah right yeah because he kind of had he outlived the band because he came out with the the center field song and uh Mm -hmm. coach and and there was another one and i can't recall what it is but he did enough to, to continue his success throughout the geez 80s and 90s because if you think about it credence was only around in the 60s i mean they they made well, it what, and i was <laughs> well and i was just 72 or something like that i was just looking at in, in itunes and yeah it was 68 to, to 72 and really it was like 68 69 70 little gap and then 72 which is the album which is a little eh, not yeah, not as great yeah, like sure. which which kind of brings us back full circle to you know, our discussion of you really don't hear that much about them or there's not a whole lot of talk about them. Well, they were, you know, timeline wise, just sort of a blip on the radar. I mean, they did some really awesome stuff in that time that, you know, definitely earned them a, a top spot for both of us. Jeez, but if you, not, yeah. you know, I mean, when you compare that to other groups that have been, you know, out and producing albums and touring for, you know, decades at this point, these guys basically had like a, you know, a four or five year window. Well, look at and then, yeah, they that made was it. three albums, three albums in 1969 alone. They released three albums. I don't know yeah. if I've ever heard anybody do that. And these are yeah. these are chart topping albums. I'm looking at it on mm-hmm. Wikipedia. Bayou Country was released January 5th, 1969, and charted at number seven it's on the U.S. charts. That's peak. Yeah. Then Green River, August 3rd. So we're talking eight months later, number one. And then Willie yeah. and the Poor Boys, which is November. What's that? Three or four months later, it was number three. Oh so yeah. It's not, so it's not like they're saying, "Hey, we're gonna throw out all the crap songs." It's not like they said, "Let's make as many songs as possible and throw them out." And I mean, 
granted, being the position on the charts now doesn't necessarily say the album's great, but if it was crap and the reviews came in, like, don't waste your money, you can't get to number one if it's pure crap, you know? And and it's, well, I guess that's arguable nowadays. <laughs> but, but for the most part, they were <laughs> taste, competing Taste against, vary, but yeah, uh, I mean. They were competing it, against some hardcore bands. The Beatles were still around, you know, like you still have Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Still, uh, the Doors, like 1968. And I mean, this probably furthers, you know, when we talk about if you only could pick five years of music or whatever, like, right, geez, the 68 sounds really good right now, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, so. that's 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 legit. Well, and, and you know, you kind of make the reference of, you know, you, you can't put out garbage and chart that high. And then, you know, well, maybe that's not the case nowadays. I mean, this was back in the day when, you know, you're. Your popularity was determined by radio play and album sales. It you know yes. it was a different world than it is now. Now it's like okay, can you put a thing on you know <laughs> SoundCloud and and make it? That that wasn't an option then. Like it's they, you had to actually put out good stuff so people would actually go out and buy a giant disc of vinyl yep. <laughs> for it. So to put out that much that quickly, like they they've definitely earned their spot, but it. Again, with being such a tight window, it kind of makes sense that maybe people don't didn't talk about them as much nowadays because it was such a a brief sure. window overall. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I would say so. Normally, we'd say, "Hey, what's your favorite album?" To me, the albums blend together. I think they have more they prominent do. songs than they have. Like, I just can't. Like, I'm looking at my list here, and I have Cosmos Factory as my favorite, but mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you what's on Cosmos Factory. Like, it just all that same means same here. Had more five-star songs yeah for me yeah like cosmos factory and and willie and the poor boys both stand out to me but i couldn't tell you which songs were on which i think a part of that has to do with you know growing up i, I wasn't paying attention to what albums sure. i just heard the music that and i think mom had a bunch of these on 45 which sort of sidesteps the whole album situation yeah and i yeah. think mo- when i was listening to ccr independently the most to start with i had like their greatest hits which also who knows what album things are <laughs> exactly no I, I do believe albums kind of are more of a big deal when it's yours and you don't hear the music kind of in passing like you yeah. Be, yeah. you know when like i could tell you right now if you said all right give me weird al's you know um bad hair day i could tell you every single song on it because i remember that being one of the first albums that i bought where maybe right. some people would be like well i don't know if it's on running with scissors or you know on poodle hat and, right. and those were albums I didn't actually own at the time and listen to on repeat. So it is, uh, you know, there are some albums that have specifics and you're like, yeah, I know exactly what song this is from. And I just felt like since I didn't really own their stuff album by album, because I did have the, you know, the, the greatest hits as well and so forth. Not right. until just recently, the albums actually are a thing and I just didn't commit to memory, but they're all relatively equal, you know, in the, like the whole 69, to you know, to 70 albums all have several hits for me more so than you probably but nonetheless they're they're all quality and and we've kind of discussed you know um some of the top ones you know the green river made it to number one but to me you know cosmos factory which is their 1970 album after willie was my top and and that was four times platinum so i think oh cosmos factory went to number one as well i apologize so cosmos factory might just be the top dog for most people could be so for me eric i i I just took a look at my list ccr comes in at 35 on my list where did they come in on your original list and where where do they end up now having sort of done your refactoring 
All right. So with Credence, they were number 20. They they finalized the, the 20th spot back in 2007. So we just did Richard Marks, which is a far cry and different. And then we did Guess Who, which I could feel the Guess Who and the Doors, which were the two before that, were kind of in that same ballpark. You'd hear them on the same radio station, right? So with the Absolutely. refactoring of the math um, and everything kind of being what it is, they moved up to number 14. So they actually jumped six spaces, okay? And overall, I mean, they had their collective work. They put together a lot of good songs. They didn't really have any noise tracks for me, so they didn't really score with ones. There were several twos that were just slow and uh, didn't love the pace. Uh, but most of their songs, the high majority, were four or five stars. And then there was your, you know, your baseline of three stars, which is like give or take, you know, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. So yeah. this plants them between right now. They're right underneath the Moody Blues for me and uh, right above Boston. So they did surpass some pretty big names in the process, meaning they beat out Boston, Richard Marks, America, Bad Company, Bon Jovi, the Guess Who, and the CSNY and CSN. So, you know, you got that. (laughs) Well, if if you want to talk about weird bedfellows, because like you mentioned, you know, the doors and the Guess Who make sense to be be close at hand to CCR in your list. But, you know, Richard Marks is kind of out of left field, comparatively speaking. I'm looking at my list. Number 33 is Ted Nugent, which makes a certain kind of sense. Okay. Number 30, number 35 for me, me first in the gimme gimmies. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. which I don't know that you could find anything <laughs> much more different than CCR and, and me first. I wouldn't mind <laughs> hearing uh, me first uh, do a version of Susie Q. So <laughs> that, that, that would be interesting. And the other thing I'll mention is, you know, by the same token that, you know, I've only got three five stars in my current rankings. I only have three one stars and they're all like weird outtakes that were tagged on that the ass end of the album. I feel like yeah. my copy of Pendulum was like an enhanced deluxe version that had some outtake things in it that were like, yeah, this is not really what I'm into. But yeah. everything else. Yeah, it's 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 good stuff. Highly recommend CCR, even if you don't know what Credence is, why their Clearwater's required reviving. Uh, it's just good music. Enjoy it. Maybe it's because it's the swamp. Uh, Maybe because it's I all swampy. Be that's why that they one, needed yeah. to to clear that water up a little bit. I, I think that's probably what they needs, needed to do. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's quality music. It is worth the time and effort. There's not a huge category catalog. I mean, honestly, if you get the greatest hits, you'll be fine. Oh, <laughs> their greatest hits is superb. Yeah, it, it's a matter of like, and it's nonstop greatest hits. And hence why, you know, like I said, for me, there was eight, five stars, which would be a good, just single album. If you just bought like ACD, eight tracks would be a low end. But, but once you add on my, you know, 27 or whatever more on top of that, you know, <laughs> more than likely it's, it's going to be the combination of yours. I bet yours is more like the double album, uh, 16 and three or whatever. So yeah. Needless to say, CCR, quality band, give them a try. They moved up in my ranking, um, and we'll see if they can beat out some of these other juggernauts coming ahead of or coming their way. Cool. Any last tidbits, final parting words, Eric, before we wrap this up? I will tell you our next um, artist that's coming up has a lot of flute involved and um, (laughs) spoiler warning, a large catalog and spoiler warning again. Uh, was not very easy for me to make it through that entire catalog. You guessed the band. Jethro Tull 
I think everyone's heard of, I think, I think everyone's heard of, you know, a few of their songs. Yeah, I know from talking to you sort of sideband as you've been working through that, they have got a very deep catalog and a whole lot of flute. So, so we'll, much we'll be talking Jethro Tull next, next time around. Thank you, Eric, for all of your insights and your research. Again, if anyone wants to uh, tap in to Eric's uh, database of podcasts and videos and other good information, head on over to musicranked.com. He's got all that uh, set up for you for your enjoyment. Uh, thanks for doing that, Eric. Thanks, listeners, for hanging in there. Keep it swampy and rocking on. And until next time, I hope you all have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Toddcast Podcast. If you have comments, questions, or topic ideas you'd like us to chat about, you can reach out on social. Search for Toddcast Podcast. Visit our website at toddcastpodcast.com with a single D in Todd. There you will find show notes, original articles, and a backlog of episodes. If you'd enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share with your like-minded friends. Perhaps you would consider subscribing, following, or marking this podcast as a favorite if you've not yet done so. And of course, reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts are appreciated. Thanks again for listening to the Toddcast. Toddcast.